You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On WBB. You can like us on Facebook or go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Also, a reminder if you're looking for 24 7 coverage of women's basketball, The Summit is live. We're on our first month, summithoops.com. That's two T's in honor of Pat. Hope you check it out and let me know what you think of it. My guest today, someone who I am always excited to talk to, is Poti Chapman, head coach, Indiana Fever. Poti, thank you so much for taking the time. Always my pleasure, Howard. Always. Well, pleasure's all mine. The place I'd love to start is, when you took this job, what were your overall impressions, both of the team as a whole and the task ahead, you know, with a roster with plenty of veterans, but obviously missing the biggest one in Tamika Tatchins, who was retiring? Right. You know, that's an easy question, Howard. Uh, I've probably answered it several times, um, but it it is one worth asking. My initial reaction to taking this job is it was excitement, exuberance. You think about, you know, being a few hours away and and competing against the fever for so many years and being a general manager on the other side and, and trying to put together a roster to go through Indiana, you know, and, and learning a lot um, and, and, and being the competition. It, it's nice to uh, finally figure that out on a rare occasion, but also to be a part of one of the most storied organizations in the history of our league. Um, and that's not talked about enough. You think about the culture that's here. Uh, you think about the blue-collar approach. Uh, you think about, uh, you, you mentioned Tamika Catchings without saying her name. Uh, just one of the greatest of all time, and, and that may be with any sport. You know, I don't think Tamika's greatness is relegated just to women's basketball because she touches so many people on so many different levels. So I'm excited, uh, but it's not lost on me what's missing in terms of her leadership. But I will tell you this, Howard, you think about some of the core players that we have here and and having the ability to sit and, and talk to Tamika and be with her in the locker room and, and learn from her and watch. Uh, I think that's the best uh, possible way to get ready for the task that's at hand. And you know what's interesting about her, and, and I, I must bring this stat up because it is just a personally important thing for me, that Tamika Tatchings via win shares is not only the most valuable player in WNBA history, but she's at 92.8, uh, which is the highest wow. number. The next highest is Lauren Jackson, just over 72. So she's something like 24% more valuable if you look at the full career than anyone in the history of this game. So I, I, that, that stat always blows me away. But obviously you guys did you know the, a very smart thing in keeping her on board, having her in the front office. And that speaks to what she had talked about last year. She had talked about the desire to have an impact on her teammates that – that attitude, that style can carry forward. I, I've seen the fever in past years win games, it, it, you could argue, on sheer will. And it seemed like, uh, you know, Tamika was primarily responsible for that. But it's a tough thing to transfer over. And I'm wondering how much you have seen of that specific transfer of emotion, intensity, or is that something you're not really going to know until you get into the season? A couple of things. Thank you for, for mentoring, mentioning the, the wind shares. Um, I, I think sometimes when you have that blue-collar approach, 
and maybe you're not leading the league in scoring or doing some of the fancy things, it, it may not be as appreciated by by most. Uh, you know, it, it's nice hearing that with Tamika. But after 15 years and, and putting her mark on this organization, uh, I think it you know was a, a natural transition for Kelly uh, to keep Tamika involved. And you used a word in talking about her. You said impact. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that that's pretty. That's what she does. You know, she impacts. Uh, a state, she impacts, you know, this country, she impacts this team, this city, the locker room, the court, uh, away from basketball, every element of her being is impactful. And I believe, you know, that's the glue, uh, that's been the conduit to some of the success that's been uh, here in Indiana. And, and, and look, no one replaces Tamika, but I can tell you that she's equipped you know, the core group of players that we have here to take that next step. And to answer your, your question, if I'm seeing it, I, I feel it. Uh, I hear it. Uh, we haven't played any anyone or done much, and as I guess we'll be tested on that as the season progresses. progresses. But uh, it's just part of the culture here. You know, people talk about culture all the time, but when you can step into a building and feel uh, what you've been hearing, uh, it's pretty special. The last time the Fever missed the playoffs, I was barely out of college. I am no longer barely out of college so there's (laughs) definitely a question about whether the success cycle applies to the indiana fever when it's been year after year you you know you guys have been in the postseason i do wonder though when you look at this team with so much youth but obviously some really significant veteran talent where do you see the fever in terms of the success cycle as of right now you yourself have defied that over and over again with your own teams. How do you measure that, and where do you, where do you see them as of right now? I see them continuing on the, the, the winning ways. You know, that's the expectation of excellence that's here through a blue-collar approach, uh, through a, a togetherness approach, um, and it, it's something that's embedded in the fabric here. And listen, um, we're not going to roll out the balls, and it's just going to happen. It's going to come day by day. And I, I think where some of that is tested, you know, in previous years when there's a slow start or there's an injury, uh, if you stick to those principles, you know, it's gotten you to be the only team with an asterisk next to your name because this, the postseason success, and you just, you know, you bear down and you continue along those ways and, and, and everything will take care of itself. But it's going to be that blue-collar approach, uh, the measure of excellence that has been in place here for so long. So you keep talking about the blue-collar approach, and so it shouldn't come as any surprise that Erica McCall was your first draft pick midway through the second round. Can you take me through your role and part in the decision-making process for picking players and what you were looking for as an organization to come out of a draft where no first-round picks but four picks overall? Listen, I'm so lucky I get to come to one of the – you know, best organizations in the league, and I get to work alongside Kelly Kroskoff, um to learn from her and to watch that approach and to be very um, definitive in what we're looking for in terms of what we needed to replace, uh, what we're continuing to build here. And I will say this. I chuckled when you started asking the question. Um, it was probably the easiest pick that I've ever had in my <laughs> years in the WNBA. You think about it, how things happen. You know, you, you, you have your list. You've gone through it so many times, uh, and things start to happen and unfold. 
And then at the end of the day, you're looking at the 17th pick and you're pretty doggone excited about it, you know. So I would tell you that was a pleasant surprise. She was always on the list. Um, I think Kelly mentioned this one time. We didn't even mention Erica to our media people because we didn't think she would be available. Right. That is the honest God truth. Uh, so we're excited about that. You know, she's that player that's going to get you extra possessions. She's going to get tip balls. She's going to get rebounds. She's going to defend. She runs the floor. Nice face-up game. And like every other rookie that's coming in here, there's going to be the transition to the speed and physicality of the game. Um, but she has the basketball IQ that's going to help that along. What's interesting is she, she was one of the players invited to the draft. So obviously there was at least somewhat of an expectation that she would be taken at some point in the first round. But also just the fact that you know, she had this terrific tournament run, you know, get Stanford to the Final Four. She's really done a little bit of everything, but she also seems to bring a significant presence for the type of uh, play that you like to favor. And so I guess I wonder how much that translates from Chicago to Indiana. Uh, I mean, in a couple of ways. I mean, number one, the pace that your team is typically played at, uh, and number two, the relative emphases of sharing the ball and the three-point shot. How do you see her interacting with the way you're looking to play? Well, I think it's a perfect fit. You think about how you integrate Erica into the core mm-hmm. players that here, uh, the, the, the core values of how we want to play um, in, in terms on, on both sides of the basketball. Um, yes, we all are playing with a little bit quicker pace right now, but not at the expense of, of executing and taking advantage of you know things we have in in the half court. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get that size and some big guards, and you can get some mismatches. We're not going to take away the things that uh, have been really good to us uh, in terms of the fever and how we we want to execute. And Erica, you know, she's just a, I, like I'm telling you, it was a great fit. Uh, and I, I think I would say that if I coach any other place, you know, she's right. one of those players that she has, you know, the physical tools to fit so much because she's versatile. And and you mentioned stats and you mentioned the NCAA run. It wouldn't matter to me if she averaged two points in the NCAA playoffs. She has a specific skill set yeah. that I like, that Kelly loves, that, you know, some of those things, people tune in late, someone has a couple of bad games and they make these you know, decisions based on it. That's not how it, it goes here. And, um, you know, we were excited to have her at 17, and it's, you know, nice having her here in camp. Yeah, and that makes sense. Just specific to Pace, you you think you probably end up somewhere in between, let's say, where the Fever were, I think, uh, eighth or ninth last year in the lead in Pace, and, you know, you you were top three in Chicago uh, as usual. Your guess is probably somewhere in between there uh, for the Fever this year. I think we'll improve upon our pace, you know. Uh, and like I said, you know, you don't cut off your nose to spite your face. I think right. there's, you know, a little bit of um, improvement in pace. And, you know, what we try to do as coaches is, you know, what's good for one is not always good for the other. So uh, I, I'm not going to uh, make us play so fast that we're not recognizing things in the half court. Uh, that's really been good to us. But I do believe that we'll play a little bit faster and open things up. And, but continue to also be the team that executes in the half court, getting some ball reversals, you know, really good with DHO. Um, 
basketball. So we're going to continue doing those things as well. Well, and let me jump off of that point in terms of executing mm-hmm. the half court because the, the next draft pick, Fionda Fitzgerald out of Temple, is someone who was top 20 in the country in assist percentage, uh, but unlike most of the people at the top 20 uh, this year nationally, her turnover percentage was exceedingly low. I think it was the lowest of any uh, who were in the top 20. And so uh, do you see her as someone who brings similar things to the court uh, as Brand January uh, or as someone who's doing things a little bit differently uh, than Brand January and a little bit of a different look for you? You know, she's had to carry a bigger load. It's different in, in terms of, you know, what she needed to do, you know, for Temple. And I think it's really hard when you're having to handle the basketball, you know, 80% of the time. Yeah. You're also dishing it out at a clip of maybe seven and a half assists and your turnovers are really low. Uh, you're, you're doing something um, that coaches are teaching you, but also there's something innate there that you have a little bit of savvy and feel for the game. And I wanted, it was intriguing to us, and we wanted to take another look at it. And then we knew she's well-coached. You know, Tanya does a great job, and Tanya was a great player at Virginia, coached with Gino, and she's mm-hmm. done a great job there. And, you know, of course you look at the numbers. Uh, I, I think she's different than, uh, than Bree. You know, Bree, Bree can, you know, I, I think the growth of Bree on January has been amazing because she's, when you need her to score a little bit more, she's looking for herself. Uh, she's uh, embraced the pace. That has been picked up here in Indiana, and I think she'll, you know, really extend that role as we need her to step up even more this year. Do Do you see uh, uh, beyond January? Do you see her scoring? I, I think she was around nine a game last year. Do you expect her to carry a larger, uh, larger part of that scoring load for you guys? You know, I'm really specific with things. She'll score more. <laughs> she'll, uh, she'll score more than nine. She's good more than nine. Agreed. Uh, and I'll, I'll remind her, you know, that's part of her responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember having Sue Bird one year in, in Russia when we didn't have a lot of players, and I, I told Sue, I said, I need you to just score four points every quarter. Hmm. Oh, that's 16. You know, now, don't misunderstand me. That's not what I'm, I'm saying about Bree, but the right. point is it's not that much. She, she'll score more. She yeah. will definitely score more. I'm 39% from three, so obviously has the efficiency to do it. Well, that's going to be fascinating. I, I, I made the argument on Twitter last night that there's no one else in the lead with her specific skill set at the position to be a plus defender, to be someone who you know provides that type of toughness, but also you know shoots almost 40% from three and distributes as well as she does. So it would be interesting to see her as... Uh, do do you see her taking on, uh, you know, just to make another comparison, similar to what you asked for out of Sloot uh, back when you were in Chicago, someone who is essentially a combo guard in that spot for you? If you really think about it, Howard, I'm not going to ask. It, it's not that big of a task that, that she's taking on that's going to be any differently. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's still going to be that person that shoots the wide open three at a nice clip. Mm-hmm. Bree's still going to distribute the basketball. Uh, she's going to play at a comfortable pace. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want it to seem like it's something so daunting. You know, right. she's just really good. I'm just going to continue to remind her, and this is why I always like speaking with you because you talked about her being so effective on both sides of the basketball. You know, you you can score two more points a game by getting deflection, steal, and a layup. You know, I think Bree also has a, uh, she's a, a guard that can rebound. 
she gets you extra possession. So there's so many ways that you know she can affect the game. You know, that doesn't always show up on the, the final stat sheet. Uh, but I will not take anything away from her in terms of distributing the basketball and those wide-open looks. I'll just ask her to score a couple more points, that's all. Makes sense to me. And you're absolutely right in the defensive end. I, I, I mean, it's not talked about enough, but even if you go by synergy last year, the only uh, points per possession, more effective point guard was Brittany Boyd. So Brianne January, January deserves more credit. It'll be interesting to see her get that opportunity with you guys as well. Uh, the the other draft picks, and we, we don't want to uh, miss them, are Ronnie Williams and Adrian Motley, you know, a couple of uh, – Florida products, and one from Florida, one from Miami, of course. Uh, what have you seen out of them, and what are their opportunities, and what's a really packed roster for you right now? Well, the roster's packed on paper, but it's not packed in my gym <laughs> because people are still finding their way back here, but they've created an opportunity uh, to get drafted and an opportunity to come in here and get reps. So we can get eyes on them, uh, you know, and they're to, 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 two totally different players. You know, Ronnie's played three positions at Florida. Uh, she had to carry a big load. She played four. She played three occasionally. She brought the ball up for them. Uh, and she's someone that can play multiple positions on the defensive end. She's someone that rebounds the basketball. And all those, you know, hustle plays, 50-50 balls that, you know, don't get a lot of credit. Uh, but we really love. And, you know, you look at Motley, she has that, you know, scoring mentality. She has a nice little savvy to her game. Uh, you know, we're throwing a lot at her. She's even run a little bit of point for us here, and she's picking some things up. So they've had a tremendous opportunity to get several reps and quality minutes um, with the vets that aren't here. Be interesting to see. And, and certainly uh, early on in the season is an opportunity across the league for some players to make an impression, you know, given uh, the unfortunate schedule that uh, Turkey decided to go with this year. Um, I, in terms of Marissa Coleman, I, I, I think there was probably no player I was more excited to see you get a chance to coach. Uh, mm -hmm. Coleman has been obviously a WNBA all-star. She struggled with her three-point shot last year. Uh, but I wonder what you think Marissa Coleman can be and what your expectations are for her this year. I think she can be an all-star. That wasn't by accident. Mm -hmm. It was by design. You know, it's why Kelly made the trade for her, uh, just because of some of the, you know, things that she can bring to the game. And... You know, I, I, you know the, the the challenge will be, you know, yes, she had a slump, and everyone talks about it. I think, you know, Marissa can affect the game in other areas as well. I can remember some of the success she had playing the four position here in Indiana. I think she has a, she's a guard with some size. She can affect the game by grabbing a couple extra rebounds. She understands the game. Uh, she she'll help someone like Bree with leadership because she's a high character person that people listen to, and she gets it. She has a maturity about her. You know, I was actually the coach when she was uh, in that All-Star game in 2015. I remember. And I, I can remember how well she played. And um, I think she's ready and poised to continue along those lines. You know, it strikes me, and, and this is an unfair comparison to make to anyone, but mm -hmm. I, I don't mean to say that I expect or think she can and will be to meet the catchings. But when you consider the role the Tatchins played on the court, 
it strikes me that in terms of skill set, Coleman is best set up for that, not just offensively, again, like you talked about, but I pointed this out, and she wanted me to repeat it and hoped I would tell Katz this, that she had the best defensive points per possession uh, per synergy of anyone on the team last year. So it's a, you know, a true two-way <laughs> player, even as the shot was, was uh, struggling for part of the year. Do you see it that way? Do you see her jumping into that role again with not not with the expectation to be catchings but to be doing a lot of what uh catch did uh for the fever over the years Listen, I, I think it's unfair to anyone when when you pull out the tamika comparisons just because the magnitude of her reach i mean you, you could be comparing steph curry to catch i would say the same thing right. but i will give you credit for this i love the fact that you pointed that out because Sometimes, you know, I can look at the same numbers and I can tell a player that, but sometimes they think coach is just trying to, you know, juice them up a little bit, get them a little bit excited. But that's important stuff because that's how I see people that can affect the game. You know, when you can give us something that may not show up on a traditional stat sheet but gives us an opportunity to improve our team and our opportunities to win, that's great stuff because that focus is always there if the shot's not going. So uh, you you make sure you repeat that and write that as many times. I give you permission, Howard, to repeat that a million times, okay? Tweet it all night, please. I'll be happy to do it. And and I always enjoy talking to you about the numbers because I know it's something that's critical to the way you think about the game. Is there a gap still between the numbers you wish you had and the numbers that we currently have for WNBA teams on an, on a daily basis, on a yearly basis at this point? You know, I, my glass is always half full. Um, I, I always like more stats. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do, uh, I, I like the eye and gut test as well. You know, we're, we're looking at numbers over a 34-game season, not 80-something, so there's a lot more of us having to have a feel for certain things, and I've learned that. But I am fortunate. Um, I think I told you this a couple years ago. I had the opportunity to speak on Capitol Hill uh, with this analytics conference, and I made some really great contacts. And because of that, I'm able to get my hands on some of the numbers that aren't here. And it's just another tool for me. And don't misunderstand me. We're not married to the numbers so much that we don't use our gut instinct and what's in front of us, Mm -hmm. but it it is tremendously helpful and in advancing some of the the things that you want to show your team and and grow your team with. And it's fascinating because there are so many people that present it as this false choice that it's got to be one or the other instead of just another source of information. But you're right, it's still, and on the media side too, it feels at some level like a bit of a secret society to try and get these numbers on a regular basis. And sometimes... Yeah. You know, and sometimes when you look at the big picture, you know, some some people's defensive numbers are going to look better because as a unit we're all connected. You know, you can break things down individually. But there's just so many different ways to look at it. But uh, I like the numbers, but at the end of the day we're going to make, you know, judgment with our, you know, the eye test or, or you know, what's in our gut. Yeah, it all makes sense. So what, using the eye test and using your gut, what are your expectations? What are your hopes and beliefs for this team? You mentioned playoffs at the top. Is it simply getting back to the playoffs? Is this a team that you look at as ready to compete for a championship? What What is that mindset for you as of right now? You know, a couple of things. You may have mentioned playoffs first because that is the natural order of things. 
Right. And I like that because that's what's been established here. I, I really do. Uh, and and my task is I better make sure we get better every single day. And that's what I'm focused on, uh, regardless of who's in camp, who's not in camp. Uh, if there's an injury halfway through the season, you're dealing with certain things. Uh, you're all, you know, you know, part of part of this organization. You know, you, we we want to serve this community. We want to win championships. That's never going to change. That's a given. Uh, so you don't have to talk about it every day because it's lived every day in every aspect of, of our being here. So that that's understood. And then we shrink it down to our day-to-day and making sure that we have the people that we have that we have in place that we want to grow that can attain those goals. So, uh, I mean, that, that's, that's the reason why we compete. Well, it is always fun to watch your teams compete, always fun to watch you coach, Poti. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat and obviously wish you nothing but the best this year. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Howard. Talk soon, okay? Sounds good. And a message to our listeners as well. Just a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB, like us on Facebook, or go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice. Don't forget to go ahead to the summit, summithoops.com, two T's in honor of Coach Pat Summit. Uh, check out Women's Best Ball 24-7. I'm Howard Meddahl wishing you a wonderful day.